This is Dwight Powell of the Dallas Mavericks, and you're listening to Numbers on the Boards with Bobby Carla and Jeff Skinwade. Carla? Dwight, dude, he has one job, man. It's Carella. What is up, everybody? Sorry, uh, Aria, who you know, Aria, he's asked me to be more enthusiastic with the opens. So okay. that was my enthusiastic open. Fake enthusiasm. Yeah. yeah. <laughs> so uh, that was an end around. Yeah. So next time it'll be a little more subdued. I think Aria will tell me to to cut the the yeah. enthusiasm. Uh, so I'm Bobby Carella from Mavs.com. Joining me today, as always, he golfs with Don Nelson. Mm. He is best friends with Mike Shedd. He hosts a real-life radio show, and he regularly appears on this podcast as well. He is the legendary Jeff Skinwade. Hello, Maverick America. It is fine to be broadcasting with you once again, Bobby. That is genuine enthusiasm. Yes. I need to practice, I think. How did I do? I thought it was great. Oh, okay. I didn't even know we were podcasting yet. It was so energetic. Oh, wow. Yeah. Okay. Well, that's great, man. How, how have you been? It's, it's good to have uh, you back. Man, I've been fantastic. I, uh, I'm super charged up for this basketball season, and I keep bumping into uh, Maverick fans out and about just dining or bowling or just doing normal uh, suburban family things, and the enthusiasm for the Mavericks is as high right now as I think it's been in four or five years. And yep. so I am in a good mood because of that. Yeah, there's a lot of excitement. But more importantly, are you a good bowler? Man, I'm, I'm uh, really mediocre. I'm probably going to go out there and bowl about a 150. And that's, that's pretty good. I mean, well, that's good. Yeah, but then, you know, when you're, my wife can bowl like a 145, so I don't need to be in a competitive situation with my wife. Yeah. I need to dominate that scene, and so it's a little <laughs> nerve-wracking. But uh, – but uh, I've had some good, some really good games, yeah. broken 200 before, and I've also real capable of going out there and rolling 93 and going, what the hell's wrong? It depends on how many beers in you are. Right. Yeah. And yesterday was National IPA Day. Oh, so, so you bowled a 60. I yesterday. know I, uh, I bowled a 136 last Oh, well, there you go. Yeah. There you go. Bowling talk. Yeah. Bowling on talk. on the board. Uh, yep. Hey, hey, bowling is all about numbers. Uh, so this is a very special episode, Skin, um, because you're here, but also because we got a new teammate in the building, man. He is six foot four. He's got a mean streak. Don't list the weight. <laughs> give, me, give me a couple months. Then he's we got can start a, listing weights. He's got an even meaner, like turnaround, baby hook, face up, fall away oh. kind of post hook thing. I'll work you in the post. Yeah. There's he's no got dog. a late 80s game, huh? It is, it's not a hook shot, but it's definitely not a, a jump shot. It's kind of like yeah, a. It's just a little. It's like a shot. A little brain and right. Yeah. Flip. Oh, beep. It's going in, though. And uh, this is first week on the job, so he is wearing the Dora, the Explorer backpack. So you can go <laughs> ahead and take that off. Hop on the oh, mic. Thank you. Go ahead and, all right. There, there we you go. Are. He is Mike Marshall. It's me. Hey, boys. Welcome. How's everybody doing? Hello, doing Miguel. Well. Thank you for having me on your podcast. Long-time listener, first-time caller. Hey. Uh, legend indeed. I don't want to freak uh, Skin out and make him feel old. I'm old. It's okay. But my first year out of college, when I moved out, I was 18. I was like... Bye, parents. I don't need y'all. And I was living by myself. And uh, I was a psychology major at the time. And I used to listen to your show huh. on Saturdays. I used to do the whole Saturday lineup whenever y'all were doing Saturdays, uh, orphanage into your show. Oh, that was so much fun. And I came home one day and I was like, you know what? I hate this psychology crap. Like, I'm going to be in school for like eight years. It's going to take forever. And I was like, I think I can do what those guys do. 
That's uh, not, that's not, the special skill is to be so ordinary at what you do. People listen <laughs> yeah. and go, hell, that's easy. I'd rather do that than study. And I knew you were going to take it that way. <laughs> no, no, no. Hey, trust me. Hey, no, but just like These guys you, suck. Hey, uh, when, when me, and, me and Ben were uh, working at a business card company mm-hmm. to where we'd get there at 5 in the morning, I was doing the rubber stamps. You make the rubber stamps, you splice the business cards, and then you do a route in the afternoon. And we were doing that when the ticket first came on the air. And so you're driving around delivering business cards going, well, hell, this looks like fun. I'd rather do this. So I totally understand where you're coming from because I did the exact I, same thing. I went home. I think it was a Friday. I had like three classes. And then Saturday I wake up and I'm listening to, to y'all. And y'all do a whole segment about cougar meat sandwiches or something <laughs> like that. <laughs> I forgot about that. And uh, I'm cougar, like, cougar you know what? Sandwiches. I'm kind of crazy. I have weird ideas. <laughs> Apparently, there's somewhere to vent these weird ideas. There's a home for them. <laughs> and so I switched my major. I was like, you know what? I'm a radio TV film kid now. That's awesome. So, we, so we, thank you. Oh, man, this is great. Yeah. Each one, teach one. They just shook we, hands. We, um, <laughs> it's so funny because I never wanted to be on radio, but I did want to be on the ticket. Yeah. Uh, because it was a fun format. and it just It's exactly what you're talking about. I was like, man, this speaks to my sensibilities. Why don't more people do this? So I, I hear you, man. I, I, me and Ben did the exact same thing for the exact same reason. So that's yeah. awesome. And now yeah. we're here. Yeah, you're taking your talents not only in the podcast space again, but also on TV. Oh. So, Machine, well, that's next for well. you. Yeah, we got a lot of cool projects coming up, man. Uh, we got a pregame show. Uh, we got like four podcasts we're going to roll out. We got 10 different video projects we're working on. So this we're is trying exciting. To, trying to beef this thing up, man. Awesome. That's kind of my job now. And uh Super excited to be here. I mean, if anybody knows me from either the ticket or from Channel 8 or from working for the Cowboys, basketballs, that's my jam. It's your jam. And you last worked for the Cowboys. Yeah. But this is, uh, you know, and for a lot of people, I mean, we're all sitting, the three of us sitting at this table, we're huge basketball guys. And so for a lot of people, working for the Cowboys would be the be-all, end-all because it's the biggest franchise in sports. Mm -hmm. But I think to totally underscore your love for basketball, which I've been following you on Twitter and I've known you for years, I know how much you love basketball. The fact that you would leave the Cowboys to come to the Mavericks, I think, speaks volumes for your love of not yeah. only this team, but the sport. Yeah, and this is my dream job. Yeah. Like, whenever I met with Aria, uh, our, uh, our cohort in the digital media department, I don't know if you'll ever have him on or not, but anyway, people know who Aria is. Yes. He's, he's uh, worked at, on camera appearances, I think. I worked at Aria with ESPN before he worked here. Really? Yes. Everyone's just following you. Wherever you go, they follow. <laughs> yeah. I actually, if I remember this correctly, Aria was looking to work for the Mavs, and he told me, and I was like, oh, dude, let me call Steve Shavera, mm. because I loved Aria. I, I loved working with him over at ESPN, and so it's pretty awesome to be able to work with him here, too. Yeah, and we, we had coffee one day, and I just wanted to give him some ideas of what we were doing at the Cowboys. Um, stuff maybe y'all should take on. And he asked me, you know, what would you do with this? And I was like, dude, I've had a notes folder on my phone literally since junior year of college of stuff I wanted to do for the Mavs. So I want to let me, so he doesn't have to blow himself up. Uh, let me give him some hype. <laughs> so our producer from the Ben and Skin show is oh, KT. My boy. And you and KT go way back. Oh, and yeah. you guys used to do shows together and stuff. And KT's always told me, you know, because I've, I've heard Mike on the radio, he's like, man, you should see the video stuff he does. It's like, that's where he, like, really, really shines. So, uh, you know, the, everything that uh, Mike is telling you right now is going to bring to the Maverick organization. Because, I mean, we have, hell, if you're listening to this podcast, you're looking for Mavs content. Oh, so yeah. it's very, very exciting. Absolutely, mm-hmm. man. I could not be more excited about it. I've been, literally, this is my dream job of helping promote the Dallas Mavericks, helping promote 
Dirk Nowitzki. Yeah. Um, like this is what I've wanted to do for since probably second year of college. And, and you th- got in on you know one what's going to be uh, Dirk's let's see third to last year. Yeah. So uh, <laughs> going to make it a nice even twenty five. Yeah. Well, right as your adult son Luca enters the <laughs> yes. NBA too. Yes, my large son Luca. Like this is a this. You you hit on it earlier. This is an extremely exciting time, man. Yeah. You could not pick a better time to come into the fold with this group of people. Uh, Luca, Dennis, like Dennis is like the third thing I'm most excited about, and mm-hmm. he is spectacular. Yeah, I mean it's Dirk's 21st season. Luca through the roof. Like this team's gonna be. I don't know. I'd say close 15, 20 wins better than they were last year. Right. It, everything's pointed up and the fans are excited about it and I'm excited to bring to share what we get to experience at practice and at games with them put it in front of them in a creative way in a fun way so they're even more juiced about it but man I'm excited to be here yeah and there's just such a like there's just more energy like we were in this meeting yesterday we're talking about stuff for the for the future that you guys will see soon yeah some stuff but kind of like the theme of all of this stuff that we're doing this year kind of like our our Mission, just kind of like our identity is just like energy, new, mm-hmm. newness, excitement. Like we have all of this palpable kind of energy and excitement among the fan base. And it's among us here, too, in the office. And we get to share in it with everybody. It's just it's just awesome. You know, and like it, three years ago, we couldn't have this conversation. No, you know, and like I, th- we, I think really, you know, what's sort of going on right now is kind of more of a revelation of what Donnie and Mark have been talking about you know it's 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 real easy for sports fans to go okay let's just tank and be great in five six years that that's most teams that tank don't end up being great you know you can give examples of where it really worked out you can get examples of the ultimate disaster of the Timberwolves that were just wandering in the wilderness forever so that's kind of apropos yeah Yeah. (laughs) so um so anyways the idea of you know, I know most Mav fans are at least, if they didn't experience it, they're at least aware of how bad the 90s were. And for someone like you, Bobby, you had family working for the organization, so you probably lived a little bit of that. Yeah, I remember, like, it was a big deal if they won a game. Right. And, and But I was, you know, y'all's age during that time period. So imagine your basketball passion and that happening. And I, I was telling folks, uh, you know, the last couple months, uh, you know, once we knew where we were going to pick and how things were going to work out, I was like, hey, if last year – is as bad as it got, dude, we are freaking hashtag blessed. Yep. I mean, that is so lucky to only have – because the, the you, could, you, can, you can pull up the conference thing and go, oh, my God, 24-win team. But if you were watching on a nightly basis, that did not feel like a 24-win season the way a lot of 24-win seasons feel. We were competitive. We were in most games. There was things that were exciting. I've lived through 24-win seasons that are 24-win yep. seasons where, like, the game you win is because a guy on a 10-day contract dropped 30 and then got cut five days later. Those are the worst seasons ever. Well, this is like – I don't have the exact number in front of me, but I saw this chart the other day that uh, kind of shows – it's a visualization of the score differential for an entire game for every team throughout the entire season, right? So, mm-hmm. like, the Mavericks, 33% of the time, the score was within three points either way, right. right? They were up by 20 points as often as they were down by 20 points. And this is a 24-win team. Yeah. And then you have a team like Atlanta who won the same number of games who was down by 20 points, like, double the time. Yeah. So, like, there's a there's a definite difference in kind of the, the 24-win situation. Like, ca- not all teams are created equal. Your casual league pass fan that's flipping around, I guarantee you stopped on Maverick games 10 times as many times they would in an Atlanta Hawks game. Oh, not even sure. close. Yeah, not even you, close. If you lived through and you could uh, stomach last season, 
you're going to freaking love what's going to happen. Yeah. Like the next, I don't know, five, ten years, as long as Luke is here and Dennis is here and the future keeps. And hopefully, I mean, it might not, it might not work out beautifully. There might be some changes, but I mean, it's looking like it will. Did you just predict some crazy trade? No, 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 no. (laughs) That's what what you saw, right? You know, I'm not going to like guarantee that they're going to win a championship or anything, but like. I think it's he's saying they're gonna he, they're gonna stop the Warriors run. That's what I heard. <laughs> that's, that's, yeah. that's what I saw on his face, at least. What, what, what would you know? What I think about this all the time, though, because I hear this commentary of "Oh my God, the NBA is broken because of the Warriors." And I, I don't buy that. Um, I'd like to remind everybody that in the '80s there was three teams that could win a championship. Maybe you know, it's always going to be the Celtics and Lakers, and then there was a mystery guest each year. But I don't think it's I don't think it's as extreme as everybody makes it out to be. But I think it you know if you realistically look at it, okay, Golden State they're the favorites, but just normal windows, normal arcs for teams. Golden State's on the downside of their dynasty. They absolutely are. I don't believe that thing remains in that entity for another four or five years. I'm just not buying it. Um, so I think if you look at you know okay, what could happen next? Have a couple young players that you truly believe in and remain competitive. Because one thing that people don't talk about when they talk about tanking and losing on purpose and those things is all the losing that you teach young players how to do or how to accept. The idea of it teaching, accepting, losing is a horrible lesson and really hard to shake. And so if you can, you're going to be bad at times, but if you can be competitive and be in games while you're bad, I think it's a huge leap forward for what's going to happen three or four years. And if the Mavericks, uh, you know, I think it's fair to go, ah, it's going to be really hard to make the playoffs. Look at the West. But if you're in the 10 spot or the 9 spot with the last week of March, you're in playoff games. That's playoff experience for Luka and Dennis because they have a chance to make the playoffs, and then by proxy that becomes a playoff game. Mm-hmm. That's important stuff for baby basketball Yeah, players. when it manifested itself last year too, like at the beginning of the year everyone was up in arms when Dennis wasn't finishing games. But kind of the message from Rick and the coaching staff was – if you're playing well, you'll be on the floor when right. the game matters. Go and earn it. Soon enough, you know, by Christmas time, Dennis was closing games. But, like, sometimes Dirk doesn't close games. Like, it, it just because you're good doesn't mean you're guaranteed to, to win a game. You've got to be playing well in that game. You've got to be engaged. And that's kind of how you teach yeah. winning habits, even if you're not winning games. And I think a lot of the fans' complaint would be that the Western Conference powers didn't, like, consolidate this offseason and that LeBron went to somewhere that wasn't a playoff team. He didn't go to Houston. He didn't team up with Paul George and Kawhi Leonard. Um, He kind of went on his own little island over there. But I'm going to enjoy the hell out of a second-round Lakers-Warriors series. Oh, my God, yes. (laughs) Whenever that happens. Because all the pressure's on the Warriors, and the other team has the best player in the world. Yeah, exactly. That's awesome drama. I I think it makes the West more difficult for a team that's trying to jump in. But also, there aren't just two juggernauts at the top now. Right. Like, if LeBron went to Houston, if LeBron went to L.A. and got Paul George and Kawhi Leonard, and then there's another, there's a Warriors 2.0 right. at that point. So, I mean, it's, it's, a, it's a valid complaint. I get it. But also, if you love basketball, like, the league couldn't be better right now. I think it's awesome. And I also, I don't know what's going to happen with Kyrie Irving and his health. That's a weird thing. Mm-hmm. But if Kyrie Irving's healthy, you could tell me that the Celtics are the best team in the NBA, and I wouldn't argue with you. I mean, they don't have the championship experience that Golden State has. But, dude, that's going to be a stellar freaking team. Mm-hmm. Just a phenomenal team. People forgot how good Gordon Hayward was. The guy didn't play. And they already had – you know, these people are like, well, you got to trade Hayward or Jalen Brown. I'm like, dude, I'd play all three of those guys together. Yeah, for mm-hmm. sure. That's what the modern NBA is. Why, why is everyone saying, well, you got to have a team like Golden State and they want to trade one of these guys off Boston? That would be the same exact style of basketball. So, 
It's, that's going to be fun. I can't wait. Yeah, and he got the great Al Horford. Perennially underrated, underappreciated, yes. yes. underrespected. Dude, look at what happened to Atlanta. Did you guys? Did you guys ever listen to uh, the Woj's podcast? Yeah. He had Coach Bud on. I'd forgotten Atlanta won sixty freaking games. Oh yeah, they were the number one seed, right? They were the number one like two seed two years and, ago, and then they lost Horford and they lost Millsap, and mm-hmm. you know things fall apart things pretty fall quick, apart. man. Yeah, things fall apart pretty quick. So the the flip side of LeBron going to LA and these kind of these these Western Conference powerhouse being at the top is that it's a fat, fat, fat middle class. Yeah. Right? Beefy, beefy. And, Skin, That's you and I have talked dream, about that. Right? Like, <laughs> yeah. Outside of, like, the top two, maybe top three teams in the West, it's wide open from, like, three or four all the way down to, like, 13, right? So the Mavericks have uh, beefed up themselves. We've talked a lot about Luka. We have not talked really as much about DeAndre. So – I guess machine. I mean, I'll start with you. We we haven't really heard any Mavs takes from you in a while. Yeah. Uh, in fact, I don't even know if you're on record anywhere talking about DeAndre. So why don't you go ahead and just? I mean, give me your give me your DeAndre takes. What do you think that does for them adding a guy like him? I love DeAndre Jordan. I love his game simply because he's the perfect center for the NBA right now. And I remember maybe five years ago, whenever he started getting regular minutes, when he started playing thirty plus uh, with Chris Paul and Blake Griffin and the crew that was out there, I was like, okay. He's going to be like Dwight Howard, right? He's going to want the ball. He's going to want to post up. Um, at the end of the games, they're going to hack him, and they, they still hack him quite a bit, but he's corrected his free throw percentage up to 58% last season. He's the perfect, like, keep the offense moving guy. He sets great screens. He gets offensive rebounds. Like, his most used possession, according to Synergy, is offensive rebounds. Hmm. It's putbacks. Yeah. He doesn't stop the ball. He doesn't want to post up. He wants to set screens. He wants to dive. He wants to create defensive scrambles. And I think that's exactly what the modern NBA requires from a center. So I think he's perfect in that, that regard. And whenever you think about what the Mavericks have had to do over the last, well, basically since the championship, right? Tyson was back for a little bit. You get a real center in there. The tricks that Rick Carlisle has had to pull to subvert losing the rebounding battle every night, mm-hmm. to subvert having to go down, and you're getting one shot off. You're not getting an offensive rebound if you aren't playing a traditional center or a guy that can clean the glass like DeAndre Jordan. It just makes it so difficult to win a game and to have an above-average offense whenever you're going down and you're looking for the perfect shot because there's no one that can clean the glass. When you're having to get back and limit turnovers, like when you don't have a real center Mm -hmm. that can create just madness for the defense – and just straight up overpower people at times. I don't think we realize the calisthenics that Rick has had to play in his mind yeah. without a true center. And I think DeAndre is going to be a borderline all-star this year. I mean, he's only made one, which is absurd to me. He's made three all-NBA teams, though. Right. I mean, a dude for the last five seasons uh, tied first in total rebounds, first in field goal percentage, third in total rebound percentage, fifth in blocks per game, and fifth in minutes. That's one of the most important things. He does not miss nights. Right. He is not sitting out a random Tuesday, you know, in February. He's out there. He's an Iron Man, and he's damn good. And people always attach – we do this thing with sports right now, which is kind of annoying, but also it makes it a little bit more interesting, which is understanding every single salary and knowing every single contract. But we turn a guy into a number, like, oh, he's a four for 70. He's a – DeAndre's case, he's a one for 25. Mm-hmm. And you forget how stinking good he is. Mm-hmm. I mean, he's, what, a top five, top eight center in the league, somewhere in there? And we're really lucky to have that guy. And for a guy that suffered through a lot of 
Mavericks games where you go into the night knowing you're losing the rebounding battle by five rebounds. And knowing right. that Boogie's going to give you 30 and 12. Yes. Right. Someone's going to work you, and you got to find tricks around there by controlling the pace, controlling turnovers, not letting them get out and run. That type of stuff that Rick has had to do for three-plus years now, that's gone. You can, you can play straight up. You can roll out your starting five out there, and you can look at the other starting five and go, hey, I like this. Yeah. I like this. I think it also uh, – I think everything you're saying is accurate. And people have a tendency to go, okay, well, they've added these players, so that's what this team is. Really what it does is it allows you to do multiple kinds of things. Uh, and I'll keep going back to Golden State. For all the talk about, you know, the death lineup and all this, they still have Zazan, JaVale, McGee on their roster. Well, they did. The reason being, as we saw in the finals – Against Cleveland, we want JaVale to dive hard, and it's gonna, Cleveland can't stop that. So Golden State can play multiple kinds of ways. The problem with the Mavericks for so many years when they didn't have a legitimate center was that there was a style of basketball they simply couldn't play because they were going to get pushed around. And, you know, what is probably the number one word you've heard Rick use in press conferences is force. And so it allows you to play with a certain type of force that you can't, you know, that you're not having to manufacture, like you were saying, in some weird way or create this weird matchup or do this. It allows you to play multiple different styles and not get physically dominated, not have someone impose their will on you. And I, I was, as you were talking, I was remembering a couple incidents in the last few seasons where it's late in the game and they couldn't keep Trevor Booker from getting a freaking <laughs> offensive rebound. Or they couldn't – Rudy Gobert got his own – offensive rebound on a freaking free throw that crap's gone yeah. DeAndre eliminates that sort of stuff and one player with those numbers that you just said can actually make that much of a difference and so he would be good on any team but you look at our team and what our team needed it's such a no-brainer as to why he was the number one priority in the offseason it's about the impact he has on his teammates too right so in LA they shot the three ball better with him on the floor every single season of his career than when he was off. And that, that predates Chris Paul, and that's also last season without Chris Paul. So it's not why? just because he's rolling, he's yes. sucking in attention. And also, too, I mean, you get an offensive rebound. Just look – I mean, anyone who, who remembers the, the finals run, right? Tyson swats balls out to Jason Kidd. The defense is scrambling, and you yep. find someone wide open for three. I mean, yep. it's, it's so many, like, little tiny things. But I think – well, you were talking about how, how there were guys that would just be able to kind of give them the work on the interior. If you have DeAndre down there against a guy like DeMarcus Cousins or any of these other big guys, Carl Towns, that like to post up where in years past the Mavs are having to send two or even three defenders and they're scrambling and giving up threes. And then whenever you're scrambling, you're not getting, off, you're not getting defensive rebounds. I mean, all that stuff is gone. You can right. just go one-on-one -on -one across the board. Mm -hmm. And yeah. whether it's Dirk at four or Barnes at four, you don't got to help there either because both those guys can handle their position too. So just everything is just simpler on both sides of the ball. And you don't have to lean on the crutch of a three-guard lineup, of a three-point guard lineup, which has been effective at times, but it's also cut your throat the other way on defense a lot of the times. And that can be a tool that you use instead of the meat of your offense whenever things aren't going right. right. So you can play any card you want if you have DeAndre Jordan. And I know the talent in Los Angeles was really nice. I mean, Chris Paul, Blake Griffin, uh, filling around the edges, but... Last seven seasons, DeAndre has not played on a team that was any worse than eighth in offensive rating. That's awesome. That's fantastic. And I think with the talent the Mavs have, they can easily be top 10, top 12 
type of offensive rating team. Which is a huge leap from what we've seen the last couple seasons. Yep. Well, their bench team, their bench group last year had an, a 111 rating, which would have tied for third in the league with Toronto. So it was Golden State and Houston ahead, and then it was Toronto third. The J.J., Devin Harris, Yogi, Dirk, Dwight Powell group was 111. And generally, you don't want your starters to play more like your bench, but like if you watch Mavs games, you know how good the bench is. Mm-hmm. And the starters have kind of been the area that it's that has sort of been lacking. We talked about that earlier yeah. in a previous podcast. But yeah, DeAndre just solves so many of those problems by being kind of like a beefed up Dwight Powell. Yeah. And I think like people don't realize how much better they will be. Like you think of the player and you think of, okay, the contract, you think of rebounds, you think of all this other stuff. I don't think you realize the secondary effects that happen to your offense when you have a big that can dive like that, when you have a guy that can get offensive putbacks. Um, and that's, I think, one of my, one of my wild-ass predictions is the Mavs' um, wins added is going to be higher than the Lakers this year. I don't think that's crazy. Would the Lakers 35 35. Wins? Yeah, and I mean – I think uh, – do you guys think 44 wins for the Mavs is outrageous? That's exactly what that's I had what written got? down. A 20-game swing? Yeah. I don't think it's outrageous. And, you know, the thing I always want to be careful of when we start putting this stuff out is the automatic reaction of, oh, what a homer. It's like, well, just look at how they lost games last year mm-hmm. and the vast number of games in which they lost. It is not outrageous to go shoring up these rebound problems and the growth of Dennis – uh, and then still maintaining that the majority of that second unit and its effectiveness swings the pendulum so wildly, so wildly in those games that uh, I, I know the Western Conference is harder. I know it's harder to win games and all that stuff, but the it's a really good mix of veterans that have won a lot of games, been in huge games, and then this infusion of youth and athleticism and skill that's – it's it's you know this is not your average lottery team when you look at the makeup of it. There really is a good veteran presence. Yeah, they weren't just like hemorrhaging points, right? So if you think of a team like a dam, right? It's just a you want to you want to play with force, right? You want to have this big thick cement wall. Some teams, I don't want to name names, but some teams just have gaping holes like in the, in their roster, uh, talent holes or depth or whatever. The Mavericks last year just had a lot of little tiny ones, right? Mm-hmm. Like. Nikola Jokic would get eight offensive rebounds and a three-point loss. Well, suddenly you get DeAndre. Well, that hole's plugged, right. right? Dennis is the only real playmaker in the starting lineup. Well, you get Doncic, well, that hole's plugged too. And that just, like, that opens up so many other opportunities. Like, they, they didn't have a lot of weaknesses to correct, which is going to sound stupid because they were 34 games under 500. Right. But, you know, you add uh, – you upgrade here and there, and all of a sudden I think, yeah, maybe, maybe around, around 500, maybe it, even it's, above. It's easy to look at a bottom line and go, Terrible. But then when you get in there, and, and I think the other thing, too, is like, you know, if Rick or somebody's listening to this podcast, they're going, man, those jerks, we lost 24 games. We're never going to be okay with that. You know, but it's, it's not what we're talking about. We're talking about is, all right, what is the reason you're in the position you're in? And if the reason is, well, we don't have any players, that's one thing. If the reason is, well, we had some players, uh, we got some guys that need to grow, and we had these areas that we need to shore up, and then you shore up those areas, that's a totally different, you know, set of circumstances that you're looking at and I just I look at this coaching staff I look at our last 20 years I look at guys like Berea and where he's at in his career you know Berea's at that point in his career where it's like you know later day Romo where Romo knows exactly what he needs to do he knows everything he needs to do Berea's knowledge of how to play is off the charts and so that's why he can have the best season he's ever had at 33 or 34, whatever he was. So 
I don't see any reason why that won't carry over again to this year. And it's subtle changes too, right? So like three or four years ago, whenever JJ first came back, he had the ball in his hands and dribbled into a screen. So he just initiated the pick and roll by himself. Last year, he was getting handoffs. So he was like tossing it to Dirk and then running, getting going, you know, downhill, taking his angle and then getting the ball. So he's not having to go zero to 60. So even as he gets older, it's not like he's losing a step. He's just getting the ball in different ways. And that's like small things that Rick is able to change where they're not running the same plays now that they were five years ago because the, the personnel has changed. And Rick has always been very flexible with building an offense around guys like Sean Marion, who's a small forward who can't shoot threes. Well, that never bothered the Mavs. They won a championship playing that way. Right. Like, he's always able to make just like little tiny differences that you might not even notice, but that help really kind of extend his players' longevity. And when you talk about the DNA and the roster shifting – the identity is going to be different because of DeAndre. Also because you're going to have a, what I think is an elite secondary ball handler in Luka. And God bless the guys that were on the roster last year. We didn't have a secondary ball handler naturally if you didn't run the three-guard lineup. Yep. So Luka out there, uh, above average passer, shot creator. Hopefully his three-point percentage increases a little bit from what it was you know, over the last, last calendar year. But I don't think we realize or fans don't realize – necessarily what that does to your offense as well yeah when you have an outlet yep you know you, you brought up the the three-point percentage so right after the draft we had Carlisle on the Ben and Skin show and I asked him about hey so everyone's unhappy that Dennis is a 30 percent three-point shooter we just drafted a 30 percent three-point shooter and everyone's talking about what a great shooter he is explain that to us and part of the reason was it's a shorter three-point line. And so people go, well, if it's a shorter three-point line, he should make more. Not with these grown-ass men. If it's a shorter three-point line, it's a smaller, more compressed space. So he thinks that Luka's shooting percentage will go up because it's a more open floor in the NBA period. The spacing is more open. It's a little more different. And then also he will have to take fewer difficult shots. You know, if you go and look at the highlight reels, there's a lot of – you know, falling back mm -hmm. with a hand in your face. Some of those game winners. Yeah. I'm like, don't shoot. Okay. okay. <laughs> so, uh, I mean, if Luca, if you look at his, his shot mechanics, if he rolled out there and shot 35% as a rookie and it's 5% higher than he shot overseas, no one should be surprised. He's yeah. got the mechanics to have a good high percentage three-point shot. When you, when you think about, okay, the distance of an actual three-point shot, it's obvious, right? There's a line, there's a line. But in your mind, it creates this little barrier of where you need to defend to. Mm -hmm. So it creates more space. So that right. makes sense. Right. That you're going to be an extra foot more open right. whenever you cut off this flare screen. And conversely, more contested. Mm -hmm. The shot becomes more contested because yeah. of the closeout space. So we'll see. But, uh, I mean, I, he's certainly not a guy where I look at his shot and go, ooh, he's got mechanic problems. Right. Not at all. Yeah. yeah but I, I want to throw this out. I'm sorry. Uh, since we're talking Luca, I can't believe, and maybe I know you guys do a ton of – draft work leading up to it so maybe this was out there and i never saw it but last week a buddy of mine on twitter i hadn't talked to him in a long time sent out a chris mullen highlight tape and i'm watching this going where the hell were the chris mullen comparisons they're the exact same size i know one's a lefty and one's a righty they're the exact same size they had very similar handles both are brilliant passers nelly was the champion of freaking chris mullen where wow. where were these comps? I mean, it's mm -hmm. like go watch a Chris Mullen highlight reel, and you are watching a Luka Doncic highlight reel. That's interesting. That's a good one. I, I, good I, one. I hadn't even thought about it. Dude, yeah. Chris Mullen's my era. So, like, I was in junior high when those St. John's teams were yeah. so freaking money. And uh, your family friend, Bill Winnington, yeah. played with Chris Mullen in college. Yeah. So, I uh, – 
I'm watching this going, I can't believe I didn't think of this before. Like the Ginobili thing doesn't really make – they don't look the same. Right. I get their competitive level and uh, stuff. To me, Ginobili's a lot more like Harden than he is like, yeah, for like sure. Doncic. But, uh, you know, we always try to find these guys. And, mm-hmm. uh, and I've heard people, well, he's kind of a smaller magic, and that's all fine and good. But I'm watching that going, dude, he's the exact same size as Chris Mullen. Might be an, just an age gap thing. Like most of the people that are in uh, NBA Twitter circles now are probably a little too young to appreciate Chris Mullen. Right. And uh, didn't play with him on NBA Jam like every weekend like, like, <laughs> well, like I did. Our, here's our homework <laughs> assignment for podcast listeners. Go watch Chris Mullen highlights. There you you can find him on the, on the Internet. It's, it's a very unique skill set, and he's a hard comp. For sure. Yeah. Um, like whenever I watch him and I see the size, I'm like, okay, he looks like baby LeBron. Like minus a little bit. Of, just take, you know, a point off each each little uh, attribute. Uh-huh. And I'm like, if he's playing the four, like I want to initiate the LeBron protocol where you're bringing the ball up. And if depending on it depends on who they throw on you. Right. Like I can be stronger than you. I'll, I'll muscle this guy out of the paint. Or if you put a big on me, a guy that can't keep up with me. Yeah, I'm going to I'm going to handle the ball and I'm going to. I'm gonna, I'm gonna torch you on the perimeter. I can't wait to see what the Mavs do with him physically. Yeah, like their staff. It looks they, like he's getting jacked. And I know yeah. off-season Instagram is like a big thing, and yeah. we shouldn't think too much about it. But like his arms looked huge in that in that picture the other yeah. day. Not skipping them arms days. Yeah. <laughs> and I mean, Rick said he's gonna play some four. Yeah. So so we'll see. But like, imagine him at the four and Dennis at the one, and you have Dennis set a screen for Luca. Mm-hmm. Then all of a sudden, like, what is happening there? Right. You know. Oh my God, Chris Mullen, his peak by the way, twenty four, five and four for eight years. Damn, so look at, and look at those shooting percentages, dog. Fifty one, thirty six. Woo. Okay, yeah. eighty six from the line. That'll work. And that thirty six was a different era of three point shooting. Yeah, yeah. Chris Mullen was a beast. Yeah, he was on the people don't talk about. It, he was on the dream team. Yeah, he yeah. Just people don't talk about Very it. Very true. You can see that haircut anywhere. <laughs> Stands out. <laughs> so can I ask my my Luca question of the day? Yeah. I hit Bobby with this earlier, and uh, I'm interested to hear your your take, uh, Jeffrey. Um, if Luca has a near identical statistical season to what Dennis had mm-hmm. last year, what are we saying? What's our opinion at the end of this season? Well, our opinion is it's going to be spectacular, and the reason being because if he puts up those numbers – then I think Dennis is also putting up similar numbers. Mm-hmm. And I so, think the byproduct of that is Wesley has his best year as a Maverick. And then here's Harrison with a quiet 17 and six. And I think we're talking about he, uh, because of the swing of games, one, Doncic is your mm-hmm. rookie of the year. And I think, uh, I think we're, you know, we get down to the final week of the season and we're in the mix for a playoff spot. Woo! Yeah, that, that's optimism. what I would think because. I I I think the reason you're asking this is because I think you're suggesting that Dennis's numbers were underappreciated as a rookie. Is that where you're going with this? Yeah, I mean, obviously the efficiency could be better, but I don't think people are as excited about what Dennis did last year as I am. Yeah, and I'm I, like, if Luca did that and the win total is way higher, then we're gonna be like, oh my gosh! But you're gonna look back and go, that number looks like that number. That one looks like that one. Right. What are we missing? Here's what I like about this, and I've had this conversation with a few people too. I, I'm thinking along the same lines you are, is because of all the Doncic hype, and I don't mean this in a negative way at all. Don't you know? Part of the thing is working in the business we work in. We interact with a lot of different athletes, and I see these sort certain personality types. And I think Dennis's personality type is like, oh, okay, y'all talking about him. All right, that's cool. I can see that. And it's not. I don't mean that mm-hmm. in a negative way. I don't mean that in a selfish way. I mean that in a 
all right, these, I can't believe these people are doubting me. Mm -hmm. I can't believe people don't think I'm not the best player on this team. And that's what the best players in the – I mean, and that's why, quite honestly, when you watch after games, when the, Chris and LeBron and these people go up to him after the game and they treat him the way they treat him is because they identify with certain personality traits. They obviously see the tremendous ability, but that's the whole thing with, all right, that's a fellow dog. I get it. And they see that in him, and that's why they give him that sort of respect. And so anywhere you go, if people are talking about the Mavs or talking about Luka, they're not talking about Dennis. And I, and I just see Dennis internalizing that and that fueling him in a really positive way to put up really awesome numbers that matter, numbers that contribute to wins. I think and, that's going to be a story of the year. And what we're talking is 15 points, 3.8 rebounds, five assists. And for a guy 20 years old or younger, there have only been seven other people that have yeah. ever done that. And he was second team all-rookie. Yeah. He, he basically was, had the same recognition that Yogi Ferrell had. Mm-hmm. So that's, that, he was, he, when he was going into his senior year in high school, he thought he was going to be the number one pick in the draft one year. And he went behind a guy from France. So all those things, man, they matter to guys like that. They internalize that stuff. It's not selfish. It's just the way Yeah, you draw motivation wherever you can. Right. Like, and the guys above him, uh, Magic Johnson, Chris Paul, Tyreek Evans, LeBron James, Derrick Rose, John Wall, Russell Westbrook. Those are the guys that have done what Dennis did last season at his age. Those are pretty good careers. They're okay, yeah. yeah. I'd, 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 I'd be fine with that career, I think. Even but the Tyreek one, I think I'd be fine with. <laughs> but I think even like, and I, it's obviously way too early in his career to talk about it, but like Dennis is so different. He gets compared to Westbrook a lot because of their numbers and because they're ex- explosive, but Dennis is different than Westbrook. He's Completely. different than all these guys. He's different than John Wall, even though he looks up to John Wall. Like, right. He's got a little bit of, I don't know, I don't even like using players' names when talking about this stuff, but he has a little bit of Chris Paul just, like, come off a screen and he'll cross you over and wait for you to do something. Like, he's got patience. Yeah. He, he doesn't just, like, come off these screens just screaming at the rim the way Westbrook did whenever he was so young. Westbrook finally had to develop that little pull-up shot because guys are just backing way off. But he, even that pull-up shot is so off balance. Yeah. Mm-hmm. Like, it is like when you're so shot rushed, out of a like, cannon, it's hard to, like, you know, stop in midair and be balanced. And yep. so, so much of what he does is light speed, where Dennis, because he does have that ability to just click it right quick and just pop over you, I think he, he's a little more, like, you're using the word patience. And there's sometimes where it bothers me. I was like, dude, go. Mm-hmm. Don't be cool. Go. But that's still, that's a feel thing. You know, it's like he's got to feel all this out and, and figure out how to utilize his skills in the best yeah. way. But so. I like that he sometimes was almost over, over kind of cautious. As you know? opposed to wild. Yeah. yeah because he'll, he'll get this switch or he'll even just, his own guy will be guarding him and he'll just kind of lull you to sleep and then all of a sudden cross from right to left and he's, he blows by you. So, right. like, his ability to change speeds came very, very far along last season I mean at the beginning of the year he was like he was doing the Westbrook thing of just like I'm gonna get to the rim no matter what and he was getting blocked and he was getting hacked and and, you know beat down but then by the end of the year he was able to kind of change gears and that is gonna that's gonna take him so much further than just his his raw athleticism you know as we get into comps and I hadn't thought about this and the reason uh this may be since I brought up Chris Mullen and everyone's like well wait a minute this may be the same effect but Cedric Sabalas brought this up on the postgame show last year. He's like, man, there's elements of his game that's very much like Kevin Johnson. And I think what people, if you go pull up Kevin Johnson, it's the dunk on Olajuwon that everybody remembers forever. Dennis has that sort of ability at that size to just rise and punch over a Hall of Fame center. You know, it's a, mm-hmm. it's a pretty amazing skill set to have. 
how does he further develop that? It's a, it's a fun trick to have in your bag to just yeah. be able to jump over anyone else in the court. But there's uh, a lot else to it, you know? Yeah. yeah. I feel like Luca's going to bring, bring out the best in him because Dennis, what he did well from beyond the arc last year was catch and shoot. So you need somebody to set up the catch and shoot opportunity. If he develops the pull-up three or the pull-up shot in any fashion, which wasn't an efficient shot last year, it was, I don't know if it was a balance thing, like we talked about with Westbrook, I don't know what it was. It's a, it's a tough shot. Like, there aren't that many guys in the league that can do that consistently. But if he develops the pull-up shot, I'm like, that opens up his entire game, where you have to guard him. If he hesitate dribbles, you have to be in his face. Right. But with Luka there, I think he can just float along perimeter, Luka dives, kick it back out. Dennis knocks it down. And I think that's going to go a long way towards him being league average efficient in his second season um, and not having to take five threes a game like he did last year, which is a rarity for a guy that young that's a, that's a playing point guard. But I, I, I can't wait to see how they work together and the plan that Rick has. Just, I mean, just look back and try and remember. I, it might be tough, but I'm sure there's Mavs games online. But, like, at the kind of offense that the starters were running last season before Dwight Powell joined the starting lineup. So that was in, like, February. So at the beginning of the year, it was Dennis, Wes, Barnes, Dirk, and Maxi. Mm-hmm. And Dennis is the only guy that's really initiating offense. So he'd take a Maxi screen, nothing's there. He'd have to dribble out. All of a sudden, there's 12 seconds left on the shot clock. Right. Or with Dirk, generally with Dirk, you're not getting – a look on the first screen it's the screen and then the rescreen and then the rescreen and by then the defense falls asleep but that takes a lot of time right or they're running Dennis off a of flare and Wes has the ball and the flare isn't there but then there's no second action they can run off that so then they have to dribble it back out and like so much time went into just getting Dennis the ball this year with DeAndre you have a, a center that's mobile enough to get down the floor you can run a pick and roll five seconds into the shot clock mm-hmm. and then you can kick it out to Luca. And if there's nothing there, Luka can assess the situation, and then you still have 19 seconds to figure something out. Like, you just have – they have so much more time to find a good shot where you can be patient, you can be fast, you can do anything. Like, you just have more – you have more time. You don't even have to play faster in order to play – you know what I mean? Yeah. Like, you're you're not killing 23 seconds every time you bring the ball up the floor. You know what we haven't talked about is we haven't talked about also being better defensively gives you more opportunities and transition and secondary offense to get good shots too. And that's quote-unquote playing. Like, the all the conversation about the Rockets uh, during the Golden State series were like suddenly – national supposed national commentators like hey they got to do this different it's like no it's not it's really more about secondary offense secondary you know fast secondary transition stuff that's where houston feasts they're not going to suddenly like do all these things they don't do but if you don't push the ball and then you just settle into iso ball every possession well that's a grind against a good defensive team but they got stops they were a great defensive team they weren't pushing the ball earlier in the series. Then when they started pushing the ball, no one's talking about this quote-unquote isolation offense. Nothing has changed other than taking advantage of opportunities earlier in the shot clock. The Mavericks, without, to your point, having to try to play faster or play differently, will just get those by the whole idea of having a guy in there get a rebound and push. And also because Luka's a good defensive rebounder, he gets the rebound and pushes. That's going to increase their offensive efficiency numbers tremendously. Yeah, I remember last year, I think it might have even been the first podcast that we did. 
you're talking about pace 21. So mm-hmm. yeah. when they get the ball across half court in three seconds or less, and the splits are just like absurd. They're scoring like 1.1, 1.2 points per possession when they do. They're scoring like 0.9, 1.0 and they don't. Last year, one of the only complaints that, that uh, the head honcho himself, Mark Cuban, happy birthday, by the way, one of the only complaints he had about Dennis 30 last never looks so good. Exactly. <laughs> was that sometimes it would take him too long to bring the ball up the floor. Like, Dennis, run, run, run. Just, like, sprint it up the floor. Because, like, you get it up the floor so quick, you have more time to do stuff. That's, the, that's the sort of the cool thing I'm talking about with Dennis. Sometimes, and you got to learn it, but Dennis's natural personality is, it's cool, I got this. Yeah. And that, that works in high school and AAU and NC State. In the NBA, those opportunities are limited. So when you see it, you got to take advantage of it immediately. Yeah, and, and sometimes all it takes is one second. Right. Sometimes even less. Sometimes you have one step, you know, like half a second. It's just – it's all – it's quick. If you do, like, the basic stuff faster, then you don't actually have to, like – you don't have to run any harder. You can just make decisions quicker. That's how J.J. made a career. J.J. Yes. doesn't move fast, but he just thinks so quickly. Yep. Yeah, it's just repetition. Like, okay, once I get past this first layer of defender, I already know what I'm doing. And as a main initiator on an offense, as a point guard, like you want to kind of slow down. You kind of want to scan. You kind of want to go, okay, what are they doing to me right here? Let's make a smart play. And that's just experience, man. That's just, okay, I'm going to get the ball over half court. I'm going to make one look to the right side, strong side of the play side, realize what they're doing. And I've got this. If they play it this way, I got this. And it's done. And that just comes with experience. That comes with, you know, not being 19 years old and having to start for an NBA team when, <laughs> right, when, when you played on an NC State team that wasn't very talented. And yeah. it was just like, yeah, I'm going at the rack or I'm shooting a three. Um, when you actually have to read stuff. And it's just a process, man. It's, it's, it's getting down the decisions before they're even in front of you. And, and that's second year should be a giant leap. Yeah, but that's why your average all-NBA point guard is like 25 years old mm-hmm. because it's whenever you've had five, six, seven years of experience and it also intersects with you still being super-duper quick. Right? Yeah. You know? it's, it's the mind meeting the athleticism. Yeah, this is kind of the – this is like the upward curve, right? This is your Dak Prescott quarterback second mm-hmm. year of like, okay, now I kind of fear I, – I, I kind of feel everything, but I'm still trying to figure out like where I fit in and all this stuff. Right, and we watch this and we – I mean, people – play 2k people watch games they don't realize like these are people that are running around yeah <laughs> and you and you think about like uh that's one cool thing about deandre is he's super willing to do all of the dirty stuff like right. he's not going to get dunked on he's willing to like throw his body into you he's willing to uh have somebody coming off a screen someone throws a knee into you he's just going to keep chugging man and he'll carve out space for a rebound that's something that takes a long time to train yourself Okay, I have to do this every second of every game. I got to do the ugly stuff. Right. The stuff I just emotionally and physically I don't enjoy doing. And the same thing with point guard. It just takes speed. It's decisions are made before they're even in front of you. And I think DeAndre is going to be spectacular this season. And I think, uh, I think Dennis is going to be helped by Luca creating off the dribble, kicking out. And just think about how little Wes has to do. He just got to run around and just shoot. Just make buckets, man. You, you brought this up, uh, and it's, Wes is the guy I thought of when you brought it up, but having Luca is so much more beneficial for Wes because Wes doesn't have to play outside of his game. I, you know, I think one of the main reasons Wes and Harrison have worked so tirelessly to kind of add the playmaker aspect to their game is because this team sorely needed it. And so sometimes you do your best and you're miscast in certain roles. It doesn't mean that those guys can't be effective, but that's not a, that's not a heavy lifting category for either one of those guys. And so it takes a burden 
off of those guys to be better and pick and choose their spots. I feel like the time I really truly feel like even though he's older, Wes is going to have his best season as a Maverick this season because of the guys that are around him are going to let him uh, just accentuate what he does best and not play outside of himself. I think that's where people that analyze this team where they get down on Wes is like when he's miscast because when he does what he's supposed to do, he's still really great at it. Think about two years ago, so not this past season, but the Seth Curry year. The Mavs offense exploded whenever it was D-Will and Seth Curry, and neither of those guys are able to get in the paint whenever they want. But to that point, it was D-Will with, like, Wes, Barnes, Dirk, and Bogut. Yeah. Slow starting lineup with only one guy that can initiate. All of a sudden, you switch in Curry for Bogut, and, like, you're scoring 115 points per 100 possessions. And it's it's not – I mean, you certainly have a lot of three-point shooting, but it's mostly because – if there's nothing there for D-Will, there will be something there for Seth. Right. Like, they can kind of work together. It's You're not relying on Wes and Barnes to, to create because they're kind of more of that slow, old school, they like, ba- you know, backing guys down, back right. to the basket, ISO kind of stuff. And these guys, Seth, Luca, even if they don't have the top gear, they can still do things with the ball. They can take ball screens and kind of make decisions. Yeah, there's playmaking there that's, you know, necessarily wasn't there in the past now. And... Can I get to my second question, my Hell second yeah. big question for yes. y'all? And I'll give my answer off the top so I, you don't feel like uh, I'm just throwing stuff out there and then ducking out of the way. <laughs> <laughs> but, uh, okay, at this moment, we haven't gone to training camp. We haven't seen preseason basketball. We haven't even seen what offense Rick is going to try and roll out there. We haven't even gone to China yet, man. Yeah, exactly. We haven't had media day, nothing. Uh, at this moment, what's your biggest concern either from <laughs> – roster construction or from what you're kind of what you're in your mind's eye you see this offense or you see this defense what's the one thing you're going they got to overcome this and I think mine is three-point shooting it's a lot of it is on Wes Mm -hmm. I mean a lot of it right now and yeah Luke is capable of increasing his percentage and probably even shooting more threes than he's accustomed to and Dennis can have an uptick and Barnes can maybe as well but on paper from what I know at this moment Without seeing anything else, a lot of three-point shooting just went out the door. Yeah, I was uh, really, really disappointed that we lost Doug. Yeah. Now, um, I, I don't know that I would have encouraged the Mavericks to give him the contract that Indiana gave him. Right. Uh, you know, good on him. And But, I mean, that was – I saw him as being the component of our second unit that was just going to blow it through the, through the roof. And now I'm going, okay, does this Australian dude have it like that? Can Dorian – Dorian's mechanics look better, but the idea that he's going to make some seismic jump is is probably not realistic. So I think I think that's a valid concern. Um, I think there's enough adequate shooters, but it's not exceptional shooting. Like for the most part, Harrison Barnes is an adequate three point shooter, especially depending on the types of shots he's going to be getting. I think Wes's percentage will go up, uh, and then you know a, a lot of this these shooting concerns are going to come down to. Did Dennis improve? Is he going to get better looks because Luca's here? And is Luca more of a 35 to 36 than a 30%? Because I think if you have multiple guys that are shooting in that, you know, uh, most coaches, hey, what's a good three-point shooting percentage? Well, if they're shooting a lot, I want 37 or 38. I think uh, uh, I was talking to Terry Stotts about this, and he, for whatever reason, he threw out the number 37 and a half is acceptable. Well, whatever. I'm sure they have reasons that they get to that number. But you look at the top three-point shooters now, they're up over 40 and pretty incredible. But I think if you have multiple guys that are shooting consistently between 34 and 36, 
I think that's passable. It's not exceptional, but it's not where you get to the point and go, man, our floor is crap and everybody's junked up and we can't take advantage of this. Where you get into problems is when you have too many dudes shooting 30 to 32%. So I, I, I think the answer to your question is I think it's a valid concern. I just think a lot of that's going to come down to what do Luca and Dennis add in that regard and what kind of shots does it provide for you? Because typically better looking shots will give you better percentage. I think some of it comes down to where they take their shots from too. So Barnes, typically you think of like the corner three and you think of guys that spot up in the corner as like your three and D, like that's all they do kind of guys. Like PJ Tucker, who is much more than just a three point shooter. He's very, very good. But generally on offense, he's in one of those corners. Right. If Barnes is willing to be one of those guys every now and then, and I know that he kind of like in Golden State, he got tired of being the fifth guy who just stood around. But if Barnes is in one corner and Wes is in another corner, they're going to be fine shooting the ball. So last year, Wes, 46% on corner threes. Barnes, 41% on corner threes. Finney Smith, 39% on corner threes. So if your wings are able to hit those shots, then – not only does that open up stuff at the top of the key for the, the pick and rolls and DeAndre sucking in one of those guys' defenders, you're just going to be open more. Like, it's, it's easier to get open from the corner if you're getting to the rim a lot, and that's what Dennis and DeAndre do. Where Barnes struggled last year was taking these 27-foot threes from the top of the arc off the dribble with right. five seconds left on the shot clock, and Wes is taking these step backs. Even Dwight Powell last year, 61% on corner. So, like, if they shoot more from the corner, which they typically don't do, but if they do – you have a rim running big, it's easier to get those shots from the corner, then I think their, their percentage is going to go up. And their, their catch-and-shoot numbers are pretty good anyway, like you were talking about with Dennis. Um, I think it's the type of shots that they get more than their personnel. Like, I think with Rick, it's really just drag and drop. You can bring anybody in here, they're, they're going to shoot the ball well. I think that's a valid concern, though. Um, yeah, I know, for sure, yeah. I mean, Yogi, Seth, granted he didn't play last year, but we know what Seth can do. Uh, and then Doug going out the door, that – it's stung. I understand all of them. I'm just – it worries me because that's a lot of really good shooters. If you told me in April that we weren't going to have Seth or Doug this year, I'd have been, oh, really? Come on. Mm-hmm. We're going to have one of those guys. But, yep. hey, that's the way it worked Did out. He, McDermott was like 50% from three for like three months. Mm-hmm. I mean, it, it was – not that I, like, followed him closely in his career, but I felt like the times I saw games that he played, he was standing in the corner. And I felt like in the second or third game he was with us, we were moving him all over the place. And, dude, the guy loved playing here. He yep. loved it. Yep. And also, you know, I mean, the reason Indiana went out and signed him to the deal they signed him to is, oh, yeah, that's how you use him. Well, this is going to work well with Victor and Miles and Sabonis and these guys. He's going to fit right in. Mm-hmm. And he will. He'll, have a good, he'll, he'll, he'll find a home in Indiana and be good there. Yep. I think that my concern um, – is kind of connected to the McDermott and and Yogi thing is losing a couple key guys off the bench group that was so good and they're reportedly you know Devin is is reportedly uh maybe close to being back we'll see about that and Finney Smith was missed basically all of last season but he'll be healthy this year so you know they should be okay there personnel wise but given how fragile and how 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 tight the margins were last season if your bench is not plus 20 per 100 possessions like it was last year, then your starters better be a lot better. Mm-hmm. Like, their starters were minus 4, minus 5. Your bench is plus 20. Well, that averages out to, like, minus 2, minus 3, and you lose a lot of close games. If their starters can just break even or maybe even be in the positive, then there's no pressure at all on the bench to be as good as it was. But I'm just not sure that we can, like, totally count on them to recapture the magic. 
40-year-old Dirk, JJ, after playing a full season. Like, right. Will they – Will Dirk be able to shoot 42% on threes again? I mean, I never doubt the guy. I think he could shoot 50% if he wanted to. But if they're not going to be as good as they were last year, and they were, like, amazing, like, truly one of the five best lineups in the NBA, if they're not that again, then the starters really got to pick it up in order for them to, to get closer to 500. You know what I think is uh, – I, I think that's valid. And you know what else might be – I don't know if the word's concern, but for the third consecutive year, Harrison's going to have to go through a crazy – uh, you know, change in yeah. terms of how he fits in and what he does. Uh, and that's a guy that's – you know, I went and looked this up when we signed him. Uh, his rookie year – so that was still Mark Jackson. His rookie year, he averaged 16 a game in the playoffs as a rookie. And then they came in and – over. remember Mark Jackson's back down basketball. They came in with Kerr and everything changed, so he had to adapt and then, you know, went to the background and then there's the emergence of Draymond. And then, you know, they're winning, but, you know, he had the bad shooting percentage in the one finals and everybody blamed him for that and then uh, – or blamed the L on him for that. And then, you know, he comes here and, uh, boy, he plays beyond people's expectations and he's getting a lot of this ISO stuff and – and then uh, we draft this rookie point guard, and he's got to make a change again, and suddenly he's getting his time in certain stretches, and now we're bringing in another guy that's going to take the ball out of his hands. And so you're talking about a guy that's going through an evolution every single year. Pretty drastic change. And so because he's such a good good guy, uh, you know, I think there's just an assumption that, okay, great, and then you add this to this. But that's a, that's a guy that, I mean, every one of these guys have some degree of ego, uh, you don't get to where you are if you don't, and that's a guy that's going to be asked to make another big change in what is conceivably a contract year because he can opt out. So I don't know that I think it's a quote-unquote concern, but I think it's something worth noting that that guy's going to have to make a big change again, uh, and and that that could not work out all that great. That could be something that ends up being kind of weird. For him, it's like a quarterback having a new offensive coordinator like – every year right and there are guys that do that and you're like well why aren't they quite as crisp or sharp as they as i as i think they are in my head like i know this guy's a great athlete i know he can throw the ball why is it just a little off and it's well you're you're learning as you're going again right you're not excelling you're you're getting back to even and then maybe later in the season you're going you know two or three degrees higher but yeah that's a good point that he's <laughs> he's had a, he's been had to be been a different guy Every single time he steps in the court, game one. And, and I feel like he's gotten comfortable, and then once again we're going to take him out of his comfort zone, right? And so, I mean, this is an extreme example, but there's no reason that Carmelo Anthony shouldn't have worked at, out in Oklahoma City. But by the end of the year, he's bitching about what his role was, you know? And so, uh, you know, I think a lot of people think Carmelo Anthony's a bad basketball player. He's not. He's still a really good basketball player, but those – it's it's – things change and your environment changes and there's a mental component to all this and and so i i'm still very bullish on what harrison barnes will be on this team but i think it's at least worth worth watching yeah well last october in eight games uh 38 from the field so he did kind of get off to a rough start at the beginning of last season and mm -hmm. that was kind of the feeling out stage i mean the entire team kind of you know fell a little short out of the gate but right. that was like dennis First off, was hurt a couple of those games, but then also just trying to figure it out, you know? Right. And uh, I guess the good thing about it is Luca, I don't think we'll have to go through the same kind of, like, feel-out stage because he played. Right. But the team will, right? Like, where are Barnes' shots going to come from? I guess that's a good 
not like geometrically speaking on the floor, but like how are they going to get him the ball? Is it going to be switches with Dennis? Is mm-hmm. it going to be – I don't think he's going to be getting five, six ISO possessions a game anymore. I mean, I think it's a lot of it is going to come within the flow. And if he's playing four, DeAndre is going to be setting a lot of the screens. So where – how are they going to involve it, Barnes? How, right. how are they going to incorporate him into it? I guess is a, a, that is kind of a big question. Yeah, and I hope uh, the majority of his possessions don't come on basically, okay, there's eight seconds left. Go go create something, Harrison. Like, we know you can get a shot off from nearly anywhere. Go do that. Because that will frustrate a guy. Yeah. That's, and then people will start calling him a ball stopper. Right. Yep. Right. That's that's trash offense, and it will make a guy real frustrated. And I don't see that happening too much. Like, it, I don't know, was it two or three years ago whenever Zaza – was uh was out there setting picks and then he'd be he'd be the bailout like to get the ball back out and <laughs> yeah. I'm like, well this one's over. Yeah, <laughs> I'm like just set the ball on the floor and head back to the other end. There was that, that reminds me of the weird moment where a couple weeks into the season I'm like, man, Zaza's our best passer. What in the hell? <laughs> what in the hell's going on right now? They made the playoffs that season. Yeah, that's crazy. Yeah, yeah. So I, I guess yeah. I mean Barnes is probably gonna have to feast on mismatches. But then again, I mean like you look back, obviously Dirk is you know, a, a mega god, and he can do whatever he wants. But, I mean, the year they won, in, in the early Carlisle years, right, like mm-hmm. 08, 09, 10, 11, they were playing very slow pace, and Dirk was getting a lot of ISO touches late in the shot clock. Right. Like the 2011 playoffs, like almost all of his shots came with like five seconds or less in the clock. They just really, really pounded the air out of the ball, and that's a different team. And it's a different era of basketball, too. It was a different era of basketball, yeah. But, I mean, a lot of their offense was – do some stuff up here with Tyson, right? And mm-hmm. then at the end of it, if it doesn't work, hopefully you've gotten to switch somewhere else and Dirk can kind of do stuff. So maybe Barnes is like the late clock bailout guy, which... The, the release valve. Yeah. And, I mean, I think he's good enough to create his own shots. So if he's on board to do it, then I think he could be pretty good. But, yeah, if his percentage has suffered, then I could see him being like, um... I got I to gotta give you guys this super quick, funny Dirk story. I can't remember exactly where we were, what the circumstance was, but he was asked about coaching and... He was like, I'm not a big X's and O's guys. I'm just like, I want the ball here. You know, and it's like, you know, we, we like to become scientists about this and, and talk about this high level and it's fun and all that stuff. But for a lot of guys, it's like, okay, that's cool. Can I can I have the ball right here so I can just make a basket? I mean, are we just trying why do, to put Why that, do you think you like Jay Kidd so much? Right, right. I mean, I'm just trying to put this ball in this basket. Can everybody, like, stop talking and just give me the ball right here? You know, and it's it's uh, it's just a funny little flip side to all these things that we talk yeah. about. Same. I told you that the other night. Yeah. <laughs> I go, just give me the ball right here. I'll be fine. I'll work it. I'll be fine. Let me that work this guy. That little baby hook yeah, thing. Little, and Barnes it. has his spots, right? I mean, he's pretty good at the nail. He's pretty good oh, at, yeah. like, the top of the arc. And, mm-hmm. and a little bit from the baseline, too. So, I mean, yeah, I guess if and, he just gets – Yeah, but you also said how's he going to get his shots. So, to me, like where he's really shined the last couple of years, I know he hates defending fours. I get it. Maybe that will be easier on him now that DeAndre Jordan's back there. Mm-hmm. But, dude, he was working fours. Yeah. Like when he would get isos against fours, then you got a good quick shot because he either shot because they were so far off him. Mm-hmm. Catch and shoot, this is easy. When they closed, he flew by him. A little bit different when he goes against threes. That's when it becomes more – ISO back down and, and work it type thing. And then the last thing I got on Barnes in that regard is we haven't seen him as a true transition get out and run guy in his career with the Mavs. And I think he's a really good athlete. And I think if you have a traditional four guarding him, he's beating you down the court. Oh, yeah. I think you're right. Like, I think he can get out and dunk, uh, get out, get open looks. Like, some of the things I watched whenever we signed him was 
This guy can run, and he can fill the lane, and he throws down pretty hard when he gets in there, he man. Does. And I think that'll unlock a lot of his game. Just easy buckets for him. Because we haven't been a transition team. We right. haven't been a push-the-pace team. And with Dennis and Luca, I don't think you have a choice. Well, you know, we haven't been a transition team, but we've been a crappy rebounding team. Yeah. And you get DeAndre out there, and I think Luca's going to be a good rebounder at his position. And, all right, we're suddenly changing that dynamic a little bit. Yeah, it's just being more okay with instead of having to send all five players, and instead of setting a goal where your two guards have to combine to get 15 rebounds in a game, which is something that Rick does talk about a lot. Go rebound, is, Yogi. Yeah, like Yogi and Devin and J.J. Barea last year, they all had to get five boards a game in order for that that second unit to be okay you can just put like deandre and then one other guy yeah. on the defensive boards the other guys can just get out and run and right. like can you imagine dennis with barnes and west spotting up behind him and deandre rumbling down to i mean like they could really get a lot of early easy offense and nice. that makes playing defense better too right yep. you Absolutely. score it's easier to play defense yep you get a stop it's easier to score like it all basketball is not just like defense and offense it's the relationship between both it, it just right. is yeah. And once you get into that, you start realizing, like, where Rick comes in. Yeah. And what he's having to overcome and what the lineups he rolls out, what it means to transition as in regards to rebounding, in regards to do we get any stops. And it all just – it all works together and people don't – you know, you take cut-ups of games and you look, this offensive possession, this defensive possession, you know, realize, like, well, what led to that? Give me the three seconds before that. Yep. And I think they're going to be much improved and I think it's going to be something that – it's going to be a different kind of basketball than we've seen, honestly, for about three, four years. Good basketball talk. Machine, do you have any more questions? I see so much stuff no. scribbled down on your notepad. No, I already used up all my notes here. They're all trash. Just do a big X through They're all that all stuff. Done. Yep. Boom. Done. Oh, my gosh. Got them. It's very symbolic. Yep. From and what I understand, you're going to have uh, you're gonna have your own pod on this, on this burgeoning network we got yeah, here. Yeah, right? we're trying to add a couple, man. Um, I think me, uh, Jake Kemp, and Brian Damaris are going to have a joint out we got here. A, we got a new rival in town, Skin. Yeah. Brian Damaris has got some good old Mav stories, that's for damn sure. Oh, yeah. And all we're going to do is talk trash about y'all. So. All <laughs> right. <laughs> nice. Well, it was a pleasure having you on. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, this, yeah. this was a, a Clipper Rockets thing. We let him in the locker <laughs> yeah. room, and now he knows the back entrance in. Our cubes are right next to each other, too. They so are. We're going to have to put a big door within in. Within swinging distance. Yeah. <laughs> um, but, no, man, we're trying to make this the place where you go to listen to Mavs talk, for savvy Mavs talk. Like, there's no reason you shouldn't go to Mavs.com and listen to every podcast. Uh, if ours is coming out on Monday, y'all are coming out on a Tuesday. Got another one Wednesday. Like, we're going to have stuff for you every day, man. That's awesome. going to be clever. It's going to be fun. And uh, can't wait to uh, share this exciting team with everyone. It means we have to be actually weekly, Skin. Oh, we can do that. The pressure has uh, – the pressure is – And good. I feel it. I need more yeah. deadlines in my life. <laughs> yeah, we got yeah. to be good, actually. <laughs> this is actually the uh, second week in a row we've had a podcast. Look at that. It's Look a watershed guys. moment for us. Hang a banner. Hey, during the season – workers. During the season, we're good. Yeah, it's during easy that. during the season. Oh, of yeah. course. But Bobby's been taking so many vacations. I know, this yeah. guy. I get like 10 him. weeks paid, you know. It's, it's pretty sweet. I'm not going to lie. Keeps on going to Louisville. Yeah. <laughs> the spot. I, you know, I got to visit the old stomping grounds. Uh, all right, Mike Marshall, thank you very much for joining us. Yeah, man, thank you. Skin, it was a pleasure as always, man. It's so fun. Yeah, it is so, so fun. fun. I cannot wait. What day is it right now? It's like August 3rd. Tomato. So we're, we're uh, <laughs> under two months away from 
actual basketball at this point. Yeah. My God. Yeah. It is happening. It's dude. happening, baby. It is happening. Oh, yeah. Real quick. If you're listening at home and you're enrolled in college, we are hiring a digital media intern. So go check it out. We've, uh, we've shared links all over the internet. Uh, we would love to have you. And if we have you, uh, you might even be helping Skin. Uh, yeah. with his research for and this podcast you might be coffee. helping yeah you might be helping me with my with tying my shoes just kidding uh yeah it's gonna be great what is the, what is this intern gonna be doing uh machine because they might uh, be listening to this podcast right now yeah it's basically digital media intern so you're gonna need to be able to edit a little bit what i'm gonna ask them to do is look at what we're making all the new stuff we're creating and go how do i promote this how do i get this in front of people because we're about to start rolling out a lot of stuff Things are happening. A lot of stuff. So I want them to look at how we put this together, each little project, and go, what's the best way to promote this? So if you have a knack for that, if you can look at something and go, you know what would be the funniest tweet in regards to that? I got it. If you're that kind of person and you want to work hard, we're not looking for people. We're not looking for an intern that we got to walk over to every day and go, hey, I need these three things from you. You need to know what needs to be done already. There's nothing more common and you know i've been in the business for a little while there's nothing more common than an intern sitting in the corner on his phone oh no mm-hmm. because you know it's like well i'm just gonna wait till they tell me to do something no bring no. some bring an idea to the party that's the wrong kind of intern yeah be because the, the the if you even at our radio station if you go look there's a lot of guys that started as interns that we kept why because they made an impression mm-hmm. so if you're going to go into the intern world that's great don't just do it for your resume do it to go make an impression that's the best way to get hired do you want to ether any former failed interns <laughs> <Skin>? this is <laughs> no your i think they've ethered themselves <laughs> oh no <laughs> yeah 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 oh no well on that note this is a very friendly place to work we'd love to have you uh yeah, I mean, we're about to do a lot of exciting stuff. Like, you're going to want to be a part of this just like I just switched. I just, I just left the Dallas Cowboys to come here because I'm so excited about what we can do with uh, the digital media department over here. So if you, wanna, if you want someone that will listen to your ideas, a department that will listen to your ideas, uh, isn't afraid to give you a platform, that, uh, that you want to do something that's meaningful, you don't want to just go sit there and post up on your laptop for three hours a day, um, be that kind of intern. If you're, th- if you're that kind of person, like, holla at us. Dude, this guy is so good. That's why they call him. Yeah, we should give you a podcast. <laughs> yeah. And a job. All right, guys. Thank you for listening. Mike, great having you. Skin, as always, love having you. My excitement for this on a scale of 1 to 77 is a 77. Woo, it is numbers scale. on the boards. 